You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, the California report finds that the Golden State is a national leader in keeping COVID cases down, but with some regional exceptions. After a roundup of regional news and weather, Paul Emery talks to economist Gary Zimmerman about the chaos a threatened federal debt default could bring. And lastly, Mark Cuniberti has some opinions about housing prices in Nevada County. He says they're too low. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. When it comes to success in fighting COVID-19, the Golden State is, at least for now, a national leader. New CDC figures show that in recent days, California has had the lowest coronavirus case rate in the U.S. when measured state by state. Here are some numbers. As of Monday, California recorded 95 COVID cases per 100,000 residents. Texas, by comparison, had 385 cases per 100,000, and Florida, 287. But progress against COVID and its Delta variant has been uneven across our state. The Bay Area and Los Angeles have seen infection and hospitalization rates continue to fall, but the Central Valley is being hit hard with COVID caseloads, and few ICU beds are available. But there's good news in the Central Valley as well. New numbers show that for the first time, the number of fully vaccinated people in Fresno County, that's nearly 480,000, outnumber the counties unvaccinated. However, like in the past, public health officials warn against COVID complacency, especially with the virus-friendly fall and winter months approaching. And as we reported yesterday, a wildfire burning in Sequoia National Park continues to threaten a grove of giant sequoias. That includes the General Sherman, considered one of the oldest and largest trees on the planet. As KVPR's Sarith Hawk reports, firefighters are trying a number of measures to save the trees. Fire Information Officer Jack Owen says hand crews are working throughout the giant forest, putting out spot fires on the ground and clearing away brush in a protective circle around the trees. They've been working around the trees, the base of the trees, to uh, rake and clean areas around the base of the giant sequoias down to bare dirt. About 25 of the larger trees have also been wrapped at the base with an aluminum cloth that keeps the trees from getting too hot. Sprinklers are running 24-7 around the giant sequoias, watering down any potential fuels. Over the weekend, high winds pushed out a layer of smoke that sat above the fire. While the smoke prevents aircraft from dropping fire retardant, it can also keep temperatures more mild, Owen says. When the smoke inversion goes away, it allows the sun to heat the, you know, heat the ground, heat the fuels, It also provides cleaner air, so the fire burns much more aggressive. Firefighters are expected to get extra help from members of the National Guard this week. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. Highway 50, the main artery from the Bay Area and Sacramento to South Lake Tahoe, will reopen to all traffic at 8 this morning. The highway has been closed for just over a month due to the Caldor fire. Jonathan Ashford with the U.S. Forest Service says even though the roadway is opening back up, people should be aware that firefighters and other workers will still be in the area. So be very mindful if you are traveling in the Highway 50 corridor that it's going to be busy and there may be stops, there may be traffic, there may be people near the roadway. 
please be cautious. Obey the speed limits. Take your time. And crews continue to work to get full containment on the Caldor Fire, which has burned more than 219,000 acres and destroyed nearly 800 homes. After a natural disaster strikes, people's worries often turn to insurance coverage and whether or not companies will honor their policies and continue to provide protection. In response to California's ongoing wildfires, California Insurance Commissioner Ricardo Lada has issued an order requiring insurance companies with policyholders living in fire zones to keep people's policies in place and to honor insurance renewals. The California report talked about the scope of these orders with the commissioner before he made the announcement. We're protecting the insurance coverage for over 325,000 Northern California wildfire survivors, and it really encompasses 22 different counties throughout the state, all the way from Alpine to, to Yuba County, making sure that these, these survivors at least have this moratorium so that they can focus on rebuilding after surviving this horrific uh, wildfire that they just lived through. And essentially, the moratoriums mean that people who live in fire zones don't have to worry about their insurance policies being suddenly canceled. Exactly. So, you know, before I took office in 2019, I wrote a law that stops insurance companies from dropping their consumers uh, for one year if you live in the perimeter of a fire or an adjacent zip code. And that's exactly what we're implementing. And, you know, it really it's absolutely critical to give people some breathing room after a disaster. This is not a time to be having to search for insurance or being dropped after um, a massive wildfire. Commissioner Lada, you've issued these insurance moratoriums in past wildfire years. You're doing it again now so people can keep their policies. But these are temporary measures. Are they really the solution to our insurance problems long term when it comes to wildfires? Yeah. For the immediate future, as we continue to really work at long, long-term long solutions, you know, this is going to be, this is the law of the land. I'm going to continue to enforce the law to protect consumers as long as we, we ha- we're having these devastating fires. And we understand that this is just a temporary band-aid on what we really need to work on. And so, you know, we've, I've introduced uh, new regulations that are going to allow consumers to obtain their, their home or their business wildfire risk score, which is important for them to understand where they are on the scale of being able either to obtain insurance or not. Currently, that is not public information, not even for the department. And we're also going to be implementing some new rules that are going to require that people get credit for the mitigation they're doing on their properties. And when you talk about mitigation, just to be clear, that means things like cutting back brush or trees near your home or hardening your house with fire-resistant materials. That kind of work now isn't really counted by insurance companies when they're determining policy coverage costs, right? Right. Well, look, that's exactly what we're talking about. And we feel over time, we're going to be able to bring that risk down, which means we keep insurance affordable and we keep a a competitive insurance market in these communities. That's going to take time. All right. That is California Insurance Commissioner Ricardo Lara. Commissioner, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org adaptingcare. SF MoMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, September 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Investigators have determined that a fire that burned under the Forest Hill Bridge near Auburn earlier this month was an arson fire, Cal Fire said today. The bridge fire started early on the afternoon of September 5th and prompted evacuations in the Auburn State Recreation Area. State fire officials said investigators have determined this fire to be arson, but did not release additional details on what led to that conclusion. Anyone with information about the bridge fire investigation can contact the Cal Fire Arson Hotline at 800-468-4408. Californians reduced residential water consumption by just 1.8% in July compared to a year earlier, well short of what Governor Gavin Newsom has been seeking, according to reporting by the Sacramento Bee. Statistics released today by the State Water Resources Control Board suggest Californians haven't been enthusiastically embracing Newsom's appeal for 15% reductions. The board's chairman, Joaquin Esquivel, told the Bee, on conservation, we're going to be needing to do more. The results were released as state officials have begun planning for another potentially dry winter. Carla Nemeth, director of the Department of Water Resources, said the state is mapping out a worst-case scenario in terms of water availability from three of California's most important reservoirs, Shasta, Oroville, and Folsom. The three reservoirs are at or near record low volumes of storage, she said. On July 1st, the local Nevada Irrigation District Board of Directors passed a resolution mandating that customers reduce water use by 20% as compared to the same time period in 2020. Despite the severity of the drought, Governor Newsom has declined to institute mandatory conservation for urban Californians. The July results were a mixed bag and varied widely by region. Water usage fell by 4% in the city of Sacramento, but it grew by 7% in the city of Roseville, according to the state's data. Ubinet.com reports that Waste Management's recycling station on Loma Rica Drive in Grass Valley reopened today and will be open for the rest of the week after it was closed Monday due to a staffing shortage. Because only one person is staffing the facility, customers at the recycling station could experience waits of up to 45 minutes. Normal hours of operation are Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Today, Nevada County recorded 51 new COVID-19 cases for the day. The county reported that 20 people were hospitalized locally today due to the disease. In the weather for our region, dry and slightly warmer Wednesday, which is the autumnal equinox, the first day of fall. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low of 68. On Wednesday, mostly sunny with a high of 88 and a low of 68. The air quality in Nevada City this afternoon was good with an air quality index of 34. Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be moderate with a potential AQI of 51. In Truckee tonight, clear with a low of 40. Wednesday in Truckee, mostly sunny with a high of 76 and a low of 36. The air quality this afternoon in Truckee was unhealthy for sensitive groups with an air quality index of 127. 
Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be moderate with a potential AQI of 43. In Sacramento, clear tonight with a low of 61. Wednesday in Sacramento, mainly sunny with a high of 93 and a low of 58. Sacramento's air quality this afternoon was good with an AQI of 25. Wednesday's air quality is forecast to be moderate with a potential AQI of 47. The clock is ticking, and lawmakers have until the end of the month to raise the federal debt limit. Economist Gary Zimmerman warns of the catastrophic risk that might occur if they do not act. Plus, he explains how one Chinese company's financial woes could spread to our shores. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Well, welcome back, Gary. Um, I guess a good place to start might be the meeting of the Federal Reserve. Tell us about this. Well, nice to be back, Paul. Yes, the Federal Reserve's Federal Open Market Committee will hold a two-day meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday to analyze current economic and financial market conditions to evaluate the economic forecasts they have and the risks for the economy and the financial system going forward. And then they'll, um, after, after that, they will make monetary policy decisions based on that data and information. We'll all know that when the decision is announced on Wednesday after the meeting concludes, and then Fed Chair Jay Powell will hold a press conference to explain what was discussed and decided at the meeting. So, Gary, another question. The stock market apparently, well, not apparently, obviously took a big hit on Monday of this week. What might be driving that decline, and how large was it? Well, Paul, it's a tough question knowing what's moving stock markets, but a large Chinese real estate conglomerate with about $300 billion in debt um, is reported to be in danger of not being able to pay interest on their loans. Um, that creates the risk of a Chinese financial crisis with potential loan defaults that you know could spread across the financial markets, the global financial markets. Um, the, these This firm has, you know, dollar-denominated debts as well. Uh, so, you know, Monday, that was, I think, a, a huge factor. And at one point, it was, I think, around 900-point drop in the Dow. It, it, it looks like it'll probably close a little lower than that or lower than that. But that adds a lot of risk to the financial system, and it affects stocks and bonds and interest rates and risk premiums across the system. Gary, well, one more question. Your old boss at the San Francisco Fed is now Treasury Secretary, and that's Janet Yellen. Uh, she's in the news over the weekend. She warned about another possible catastrophic risk, and that is the failure to raise the national debt ceiling. And I guess that action could lead to a default on U.S. Treasury debt. Pretty serious stuff, wouldn't you say? Pretty serious stuff, Paul. Uh, this is a huge risk, and I completely agree with Janet Yellen on this is an avoidable risk to the financial system and the economy. And I think we're looking at a political decision, and failure to raise the debt ceiling could be essentially an act of economic sabotage. It would disrupt financial markets and damage the economy, and it's it's unnecessary. The U.S. Treasury has been able to borrow at very low interest rates because its debt has been considered risk-free, and that would change dramatically with a default. 
you know, U.S. Treasury bonds are normally a safe place to invest, even or or especially in risky times. Um, and so typically an event like the Chinese debt issue that we just talked about would, would lead investors to move money out of risky assets into risk-free U.S. Treasury debt. And failure to raise the debt ceiling, you know, essentially the Treasury is asking for approval to borrow to cover money that Congress has already spent. Um, and as I see, not raising the debt ceiling would lead to a, you know, a default in maturing Treasury debt. And that would cause the Treasury's debt rating to fall, sharply raising the cost of new borrowing for the U.S. Treasury. And that alone could cost hundreds of billions of dollars in hiring, higher borrowing costs in, in the next year or two. Um, the bigger problem, though, is that a U.S. Treasury default would disrupt the global financial markets as bondholders and investors would start dumping risky U.S. Treasury debt uh, both before and you know, in expectations of and after a Treasury default. So I think Treasury Secretary Yellen is absolutely correct. This could cause a catastrophic financial crisis and there's no telling who gets hurt and how much and, and for how long. And I think the important thing is there's no economic reason today for the U.S. to default on its publicly held national debt. Um, it's not out of line with the size of the U.S. economy. So that's a that's a big risk that I see. Gary, thank you so much. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. OK, thank you, Paul. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. Next up, Money Matters. Mark Cuniberti says the so-called residential housing shortage in Nevada County means real estate is priced too low for the amount of demand. Consequently, homeowners may be missing out on profits. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. I always get a kick out of hearing prognostications for a continued shortage in the residential housing market in Nevada County. Not only in Nevada County, mind you, but in many places in the country. The high demand is contributing to what I call the musical chairs of home buyers, brought about by a plethora of issues, which includes, but are not limited to the COVID work-at-home craze, wildfire dangers, and political refugees feeling perceived saturated areas. In a capitalistic system or a free market, there can be no ongoing shortage of anything unless the thing referred to is at zero quantity or close to it. Residential real estate has thousands of homes in existence in Grass Valley alone, let alone in the entire county. So why are so many people under the impression the housing shortage will continue? Simply put, it's the ignorance of how free markets operate and the subsequent failure of those responsible for setting the selling price of a home. Capitalism functions on supply and demand, and the very nature of how capitalism works will eliminate shortages and excesses in short order. Ongoing shortages or excesses only exist through the failure of market participants to respond to what the capitalistic mechanism is telling them. Unfortunately, this failure may be costing homeowners big money in the process, and in some cases tens of thousands of dollars. A shortage of something means demand exceeds supply. In a free market, a shortage means sellers can raise prices until such a time a balance of supply and demand is reached and the so-called shortage is eliminated. For a shortage to continue means those pricing the asset, and in this case homes, are failing to respond to what the system is telling them. 
Someone once asked me if I could solve the housing shortage after attending one of my real estate seminars. I answered yes, I could solve the shortage in one day. The answer? Double the price of every home in Nevada County over the listed current market value. Voila! Housing shortage solved. In fact, by doubling the price, we could easily see a housing glut. Simply put, shortages in a free market means prices are too low for the demand environment. Shortages in free market are always corrected quickly by proper pricing. This means those setting prices right now are failing to respond to market conditions. They are mispricing homes too low. Sale prices set too low in relation to demand will continue the perceived, and incorrectly so, the so-called shortage. Quick sales are an indicator prices could be too low. This failure to price correctly also means sellers may not be getting top dollar for their homes and could be leaving thousands of dollars on the negotiating table. Whereas a glut of homes means prices must drop, a shortage of homes means prices should rise. That the shortage continues means the mispricing continues. This sadly may be robbing sellers of dollars they could be due. I always chuckle a little bit when I hear someone rave about their realtor that sold their house in three days. Since recent data from Realtor.com suggests the medium home takes about 65 days to sell, selling times less than that probably means prices are too low, and perhaps way too low. Praises that a realtor sold a house in a few days is very misguided, and it is unfortunate for sellers and realtors that they do not understand market dynamics. The question is, why would those responsible for setting selling prices of homes continue this flawed mispricing practice, despite the fact that prices may be able to be raised to meet the imbalance in demand that is causing the so-called shortage? Either those determining sale prices do not understand free market dynamics, or are purposely setting prices too low to facilitate a quick sale. Considering many responsible for setting selling prices are forecasting a continuing housing shortage, I would lean more more toward the former than the latter, that home sellers are perhaps missing out on much higher revenues from selling their homes because of a lack of understanding or a conflict of interest brought about by a quick sale is unfortunate. My suggestion is if you are selling a home to multiply the suggested selling price by 120%. You might have to wait a little longer and argue a bit if using a realtor, but in the case of a 500000 initial suggested price, 120% higher would mean an extra $100,000. Is that worth it to wait a few more weeks? Me thinks so. That's it for today's Money Matters. The views expressed are my opinions only and may not necessarily represent those of this station, its staff members, or underwriters. This newscast is not meant as investment advice. No guarantees are made as to any claims or statements that I've mentioned and consult a qualified professional for all your investment needs. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California Insurance License OL34249 and I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. It's a crime. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's Educationally Speaking. Host Kimberly Ewing and her guests focus on an arts integration program that reaches 1,000 elementary school students in Nevada County. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. 
KVMR gets support from Wallace Design Studio, providing architectural design for commercial, residential, and medical projects throughout California. Recent projects include Insight Imaging, Culture Shock Yogurt, Cake Bakery, and Valor Oncology. WallaceDesignStudio.com and Alpine Aviation since 1990, offering chartered and scenic flights with personalized schedules and destinations, plus flight instruction and aircraft rentals. Located at the Nevada County Airport off Loma Rica Road, Grass Valley. FlyAlpine.com The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. Have a great evening, and we'll see you tomorrow.